you could receive a $5,600 stimulus check. And honestly, this could actually help a lot of people. So families could receive a sizable increase in the next round of stimulus payments due to a change in how dependents are actually handled. So committee work continues on President Joe Biden's COVID stimulus package that includes another round of direct payments. Which, you know, this is interesting because they said $2,000 originally. Now they're not really saying $2,000. Now they're trying to get $2,000. It's a super weird situation. But the dependents are most likely going to be changed, which is why this is a big deal. So the House is expected to pass the legislation this week before it heads to the Senate, where the tight Democratic margin means there will likely be additional changes. The amount of the direct payments, however, is expected to remain unchanged. President Biden's stimulus package includes $1,400 per person or $2,800 for married couples, even though it was originally supposed to be $2,000 per person. It also includes $1,400 for anyone classified as a dependent, an increase from previous stimulus rounds which paid $500 and $600 only for dependents age 17 and younger. The change means a family of four could see a stimulus payment of as much as $5,600 depending on income. Now, the reason why I say that this could actually help people is because, look, over the past, you know, pretty much year, right, these COVID stimulus packages have basically been worthless, right? Oh, you're going to get $1,000 after we're going to steal more of your money to pay for random stuff, and only some of you are going to get the $1,000, and also we're going to take multiple months before we actually pass something like that. Same thing with a $600 stimulus check. So, like, all these different COVID stimulus packages take forever for not really much money, and again, all this money is being stolen from your future. So it's kind of like, it's all been basically horrible, right? That being said, if they are going to steal from your future, no matter what, they might as well give you and families, specifically with a bunch of kids, a lot more money. Might as well, since they're already going to be stealing from you, Right? And the reason why I say the the 600 is actually something that could be potentially life-saving is because there's been such a long amount of time where people were just not getting any money at all. So this can really help someone and specifically help a family in need. Let's say that they were barely hanging on and then they get this stimulus check of $5,600. That could basically keep them afloat for the next couple months to basically be like kind of like be up to date or at the very least just float their livelihood until they're able to find a job to start paying their bills again because a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people are still out of their jobs a lot of people's businesses are completely destroyed and so this can really help someone right now Right now, if they spend another six months or eight months trying to get this thing passed, then it's basically going to be worthless as well. Right. Of course, no one's going to complain about getting fifty six hundred dollars into their bank account. But at the same time, there's people 
in dire need right now, and if they're going to steal your money anyways, they might as well give you a bigger check right now. So individuals earning less than $75,000 a year and married couples making less than $150,000 will qualify for the full amount. So basically, the majority of Americans. So people earning more than those amount would see their checks drop incrementally, with individuals earning more than $100,000 and couples earning more than $200,000 not eligible for a payment, which honestly makes sense even though they're still stealing from you as well to basically get this money, which is, makes it very interesting, right? Because they're, they're not going to give you money that they stole from you, but they're going to give other people money that they stole from you. It's very interesting. That being said, there are people who are still making like six figures that are living paycheck to paycheck just based off their lifestyle, them not knowing how to budget, them also facing different things because of COVID and all of this different health situations and you know governmental restrictions within their states and all that kind of stuff. So I can understand it, but at the same time, I don't like it. I think that if you're going to steal money from the American people, the tax-paying American people, you should still give everyone a check because you're literally stealing from everyone that pays taxes. So if the House votes on the full measure next week, and assuming Senate Democrats can convince moderates to stay on board, the measure could arrive on President Biden's desk in early March. After that, the IRS will begin sending out checks almost immediately with deposits possibly arriving mid-March for people who have banking information on file with the agency. So pretty much, again, anyone who's basically filed taxes. As with previous stimulus payments, Paper checks and debit cards will be sent out next. You can become a member and support this sort of news content down below in the description. You can watch more news episodes right there. You can check out 40inbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story because I think it'd be pretty cool to create some sort of channel around your stories. Because I think that'd be pretty nice, right? Or we'll just put it onto the 40inbox.com YouTube channel. And because you could also listen to the 40inbox.com YouTube channel and the 40inbox.com podcast, where there's literally just free personal finance lessons there that you could just listen to when you're bored and you're just kind of like needing some help with specific categories of finance or personal finance or investing and all that kind of stuff. And feel free to give your thoughts about this stimulus check situation, right? Like, are you cool with them stealing money from everyone to give only a certain amount of people a large check, right? And also, you got to wonder, what's all going to be, like, included into this stimulus check, right? Like, the more that you think about it, right? What are they going to try to slide in there? Like, you know, a thief in the night? To basically say like, hey, yeah, you know, we're going to approve this stimulus check, but we're also going to approve, you know, $200 million to Australia, right, for no reason. Or $100 million to China to help with gender studies. Or to maybe send like $50 million to Russia for 
who knows what, right? Maybe to help them with Telegram, because I believe Telegram was originally created in Russia. So it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see when they fully release everything that's going to be within the bill that's going to be actually passed. Because as we know, with every single time that they've done a COVID relief bill or a COVID stimulus relief bill, whatever you would want to call it, they always add more stuff into it. And they add stuff to where they steal from everyone that pays taxes and not give everyone a decent-sized check because they're putting other money, like they're sending most of that money to other purposes, right? It's like basically saying like, hey, I'm going to steal $100 from your future, right? Then I'm going to give you $10 right now, and then I'm going to give $90 to your best friend that cheated on you, right? Like that cheated on basically... Your, that she did with your girlfriend, right? Your former best friend kind of thing, right? That's basically how it is, right? They steal your money, then give it to someone that you don't even associate with anymore or really ever, right? So it's super odd, and I super dislike it. McDonald's is racist? Apparently. So let's get into the story. So Black McDonald's franchise owner sues Chain over claims of discrimination. The black owner of 14 McDonald's franchises, which is a crazy amount, in Ohio says one of the world's largest restaurant chains has shown more favorable treatment to white owners and denied him the opportunity to buy restaurants in more affluent communities, according to a civil rights lawsuit filed this week. The lawsuit filed by Herbert Washington, a former college track star who played for parts of two seasons with the Oakland Athletics in the mid-1970s, said the Chicago-based company's discriminatory practices has led to a $700,000 sales gap between black-owned franchises and those owned by whites. The number of black franchise owners has fallen from 377 in 1998 to 186 today, while the total number of stores has more than doubled to 40,000, the lawsuit said. By relegating black owners to the oldest stores in the toughest neighborhoods, McDonald's ensured that black franchisees would never achieve the levels of success that white franchisees could expect, the lawsuit said. Black franchisees must spend more to operate their stores while white franchisees get to realize the full benefit of their labors, the lawsuit said. McDonald's issued a statement on Tuesday denying Washington's assertions. The company said Washington is facing business challenges for which the company has invested significantly in his organization while offering him multiple opportunities over several years to address these issues. The situation is the result of years of mismanagement by Mr. Washington, whose organization has failed to meet many of our standards on people, operations, guest satisfaction, and reinvestment, the statement said. More than 50 former black McDonald's franchise owners made similar claims in a lawsuit filed against the company in September. Which is uh, pretty crazy when you really think about it. Feel free to become a member, support, if you want to, in the description, feel free to watch more news-related content. 
that deals kind of like with business and money related stuff. Check out 40 boxcom to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story because I think that'd be pretty interesting to kind of turn that into an episode on the 40 boxcom YouTube channel and also podcast where we could tell people's personal stories and maybe even answer their questions on there, right? And there's also free lessons on that channel as well. And also you can listen to it on the podcast as well, which is just 40 boxcom dot com right and it's just free lessons and there's always going to be free lessons about personal finance so if you want to learn more about personal finance or just get a little bit better at that go check that out and feel free to give your thoughts do you think that they have uh basically concrete to stand on in this situation because obviously we don't know what really happened right this is a he said she said situation or you know he said, and the establishment said, right? But either way, it's very interesting when you have franchisees sue the head company because they're all intermingled and intertwined, and it's like, it's super weird in this situation, right? Like, no matter what, it's just super weird. And the outcome of this, I honestly probably see nothing's going to come too much out of this. Which, if they are being discriminated against, that's pretty sad to see, or will be sad to see. But if they're not being discriminated and they're just suing to just sue, that's pretty depressing, right? Because you would expect people to have more character than that. But either way, it's going to be a very sticky situation within this specific... (sighs) Business to business uh, relationship. Citigroup's $900 million mistake. So, a United States federal judge on Tuesday said banking giant Citigroup Incorporated is not entitled to recruit hundreds of millions of dollars of its own money that it mistakenly wired to the lenders of a cosmetics company. So the U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman in Manhattan said the August 11th, 2020 wire transfers to lenders of Revlon Incorporated at issue were final and complete transactions, not subject to revocation. Calling the mistake a banking error of perhaps unprecedented nature and magnitude. A spokeswoman for Citigroup said the bank strongly disagrees with this decision and intends to appeal. We believe we are entitled to the funds and will continue to pursue a complete recovery of them, the bank said. The case stemmed from an incident where Citigroup, acting as Revlon's loan agent, wired $893 million to Revlon's lenders, appearing to pay off a loan not due until 2023. Citigroup had intended to send a 7.8 mil interest payment and blamed human error for the gaffe. Some lenders returned money they were sent, but 10 asset managers, including Brigade Capital Management, HPS Investment Partners, and Symphony Asset Management refused, prompting Citigroup's lawsuit to recoup the estimated 501 mil they received. So Citigroup had argued that the lenders should return the money because they knew or should have known 
the bank made a mistake and that Revlon could not afford the payment. Now, that being said, right before we continue, here's the thing, right? Let's say that, like, you know, let's say that you sold something to someone, right? Like, say this is, like, your personal situation. Let's say that you sold something to someone, right? They bought it on debt, right? On, like, on a payment plan, right? Let's say they bought, you know, your old iPhone, right? For $1,000. Let's just say that. So every month they were supposed to pay, you know, $20 per month, right? For the next couple of years, right? Which you're okay with that. But there's an option already to just pay off the $1,000 off the bat, right? Because that's the debt amount, the loan amount that you offered them. So they just randomly send you $1,000, are you really going to give that $1,000 back after they already owed you $1,000, right? So this is the thing, right? I could see why the lenders were like, uh, no, right? Like, you paid the debt that is on the books, right? Like, you literally owe the money and you paid it. So why would we give you the money back after you paid it, right? So I can see why these lenders would not want to do it and why the judge would actually rule in their favor. So in a 101-page decision following a six-day trial in December, Furman, the judge, noted that the transfers matched to the penny what the lenders were owed and said it appeared there had never been a mistake of this size before. I mean, that's pretty crazy. For it to be to the penny that they were owed, that, I don't know how that's going to be really a mistake. So the non-returning lenders believed and were justified in believing that the payments were intentional, for Monroe. To believe otherwise, to believe that Citibank, one of the most sophisticated financial institutions in the world, had made a mistake that had never happened before to the tune of nearly $1 billion would have been borderline irrational. Lawyers for both parties did not immediately respond to requests for comment where we got this story. But again, when you really think about it, why are they even going to court for this? Because when, like, the fact of the matter is, right, they owed the money, right? They owed the money. So, of course, you know, that needs to be paid regardless. So, administrative agents typically distribute interest payments and perform back office services for clients such as Revlon. Industry groups have also said that a ruling against Citigroup could expose banks to excessive liability risk. True, that could potentially be the case, but at the same time, This is really on them. This is all their fault, right? You can't really blame the lenders. You can't really go after the lenders because you simply paid a debt that was owed, right? I mean, that's pretty much the finality of it. So you could become a member or support in the description, right, if you feel like it. And feel free to watch more news-related content that is 
focused more so on the business and financial side of news. Of course, we're going to toss in like random top news stories in there as well if we find it very interesting. But we're trying to lean more to business and finance related because honestly, it's less like it's basically less of a snake pit, honestly. And uh, yeah, it's better to just cover things that could potentially make you more money in the future, right? Learning more about businesses that are doing certain things can really help you invest your money. And you can also check out 40inbox.com, whether it be on the YouTube channel or on the podcast or literally 40inbox.com. You can master your money. You can personal finance lessons, personal finance courses, and feel free to contact us with your personal finance question or story, and we'll probably put it into a future episode because we really want to help people with their personal finances because no matter who you are, no matter which way of the aisle that you uh, end up sitting in, whether it be left, right, center, or not even caring at all, you still got to be good with your money, right? You can make $10,000 and still live a better life than someone who's making $100,000, right? You can literally have more money in your bank account making $10,000 a year than someone who makes $100,000 a year. And it's all about understanding your personal finances because, guess what? It's personal. Your finances are personal to you, right? Personal. Bitcoin's $50,000 move means a lot, And here's why. So Bitcoin's price broke above $50,000 for the first time in history Tuesday, continuing its blistering rally as major companies appear to be warming up to cryptocurrencies. The world's largest digital currency by market value rose more than 3% to an all-time high of 50,487 at about 7:30 a.m. ET according to data from CoinMetrics. It later fell below the mark trading 0.2% higher at a price of $48,760. Bitcoin has gotten a boost from news of large firms like Tesla and Mastercard showing support for crypto. Tesla last week revealed it had bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and plans to accept the digital coin as payment for its products while MasterCard said it will open up its network to some digital currencies, and PayPal and BNY Mellon have also made big moves to support crypto. And I think if you were to do the numbers, like, you know, don't quote me word for word, but I believe from their investment that Tesla made, I believe they made about $300 million, right, at the time of this recording, right? Which, you know, if Bitcoin ends up, you know, going over $50,000, that's a crazy amount, right? Like, like they might make more money from their investment in Bitcoin than they would have made from selling all of their cars. Think about that for a second. That they could technically invest their money into Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency and make more money selling the product that is making the company, right? Crazy. So Tesla's use of corporate cash to buy Bitcoin sparked speculation over whether other major companies would follow suit. Uber CEO Dara Karashahi told CNBC last week that the company had discussed but quickly dismissed the idea of buying Bitcoin, 
but is considering whether to accept cryptocurrencies as payment. Well, now you might be kind of, you know, kicking yourself in the foot because Bitcoin's kind of on the rise, right? And here's the thing with Bitcoin, right? Obviously, only invest money that you are comfortable with losing, right? That being said, there's so many people that believe in Bitcoin, right? That it's going to be impossible for it to ever go to zero, right? Because there's just too many holders, right? There's just too many people who believe in cryptocurrency, too many people that believe in the daddy of all cryptos, which is Bitcoin, right? And there's a very limited amount of Bitcoin that could ever be produced, ever, right? That means that as time goes on, it can only go up. As more support for Bitcoin increases, guess what? The price of Bitcoin is going to keep on increasing. Now, there were talks years ago with you know Bitcoin potentially becoming a million dollar per coin, right? Now, do I think that it could become a million dollars per coin? Possibly. Possibly within like 20, 30 years, it could probably be a million dollars per coin. With the track that is going on right now, if anything, if Bitcoin crosses the $100,000 mark in 2021, I could see Bitcoin going to easily $1 million per coin within five years, right? Because if it crosses that six-figure threshold, that goes over like a mental barrier for so many people and so many companies that are like, oh, no matter what, we have to invest money into this, right? It's going to, be, it's going to put people in a position where they're going to actually start to question their whole life because they're like, why did I put zero dollars into this cryptocurrency, right? And you got to also understand this too, because I've mentioned this before. The United States government views and has viewed Bitcoin cryptocurrency as a capital asset, right? They believe it's viable. Let's not also not mention that, you know, obviously they took the Silk Road crypto as well, all that Bitcoin as well. So they have access to a whole bunch of Bitcoin if they need it, right? Now, of course, there's like, you know, potentially shady things as to what they did with the whole Silk Road crypto and what they're doing with other crypto and all that kind of stuff, right? But at the same time, again, the United States government views it as a capital asset and also gets taxed like a capital asset, just like stocks and just like real estate. So keep that in mind. The government views it as a viable asset, Right, not just you know some investor that you know is just randomly talking to you on the internet, not just some company that's talking to you about something on the internet. It's literally the government telling you like, hey, yeah, this is a capital asset, and uh, we're going to tax you the capital rate. Right now, these developments have led many crypto investors to believe the latest bull run is different than past rallies. Bitcoin skyrocketed to nearly twenty thousand dollars in late twenty seventeen before losing more than eighty percent of its value the following year. Bitcoin believers say that whereas the twenty seventeen bubble was driven by retail speculation, the current cycle is being fueled by demand from institutional investors, which is a very big difference. Now that being said, right, 
I would not cry if Bitcoin crashed to like two thousand dollars, right? Because if it did, personally, I'm going to put a decent amount of money into Bitcoin, right? I mean, just to be frank, I'm kind of hoping that it would crash. Just so that you could put money into it, right? So that you could just do like a massive buying spree of it, because you know within a certain amount of time it's just going to skyrocket back, right? So I don't think it's going to crash, right? We'll see. Like I think maybe if it were to crash, honestly, I think it might just get to maybe ten thousand at the lowest now. But who knows? Maybe it could get all the way down to $1,000. Maybe it could go all the way down to $500. I don't personally think that. Personally, I think that by the end of 2021, it's going to get pretty close to the $100,000 mark. And if that ends up happening, whew, that is going to change so many people's lives that invested into Bitcoin early on. And, oh man, I wish I had a job in high school when I knew about Bitcoin so that I could have actually bought it because I had no money in high school. So there was no chance of me ever buying it, even though it was like only like a couple of dollars, if that, right? In like 20, like late 20s, early, it was basically like mid 2000s, basically, right? Like you could have made, you could have become a billionaire if you learned about Bitcoin in like 2010, 2011. Right, like it's crazy that you could have just been a billionaire after ten years, right? So I think Bitcoin is a much more stable asset class today than it was three years ago. Michael Saylor, CEO of enterprise software firm MicroStrategy, told CNBC's Street Science Asia program on Tuesday. It used to be dominated by leveraged retail traders on international markets with a lot of leverage. MicroStrategy and Jack Dorsey's fintech firm Square hit the headlines last year after taking the unusual strategy of using corporate cash to purchase Bitcoin. And imagine if Apple just like dropped like, I don't know, 500 million, a billion. I think they have like a crazy amount of cash on reserve. They could probably put half of their cash on reserve, like out of reserve, right? They could put half the cash that they actually have into Bitcoin, right? Which would drastically increase the price of Bitcoin to probably over six figures. Like that massive amount of cash influx into Bitcoin would probably just skyrocket that thing like it's on like a SpaceX spaceship, right? So I think that starting in March of 2020, you saw institutions start to arrive. And I think in 2021, you're going to see that trend continue, Sailor added. They're enthusiasts for Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, but I personally believe that the compelling use case is a store of value. MicroStrategy has seen its share price climb more than sevenfold since it first bought Bitcoin in August. The company announced Tuesday that it will offer $600 million in convertible bonds to buy more Bitcoin. How crazy is that? They are so bullish on Bitcoin, which is crazy. So there has been speculation that MicroStrategy offered a blueprint for Tesla's Bitcoin purchase after an exchange between Saylor and Elon Musk on Twitter about making large transactions with the cryptocurrency.
Still, skeptics see Bitcoin as a speculative asset and worry it may be one of the biggest market bubbles in history. Economists like Narell Rubini say that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value. Now, here's the thing, right? People say that cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value, specifically like Bitcoin, right? But here's the thing: your money that you have in your bank account, there's really no intrinsic value with it, right? When you really think about it. Because it's only seen as valuable because people are willing to take it for payment, right? But let's just say one day you wake up, you go to fill up your gas station, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, we don't accept the U.S. dollar anymore. We accept francs, right? You know, the more like European kind of like currency, or no, let's accept the Canadian dollar." Yeah, we don't take、uh, the U.S. dollar anymore. We take the Canadian dollar, right? What are you going to do, right? U.S. dollar ends up becoming completely worthless, right? So it all depends on what people are willing to take for something, right? So like, if I decide to sell you a water bottle, but I only accept Bitcoin, guess what? The only way you're going to get that water bottle is by giving me Bitcoin, right? That's the way you got to look at it. So as long as people are wanting Bitcoin. And are willing to buy things with Bitcoin and sell things with Bitcoin, or at the very least view it as an asset, like the U.S. government does. There's always going to be a viewed value with it. And a recent Deutsche Bank survey said investors view Bitcoin as the most extreme bubble in financial markets. Personally, I would not say that. Personally, I would say that is Doge Coin or all the. Very tiny, tiny cryptocurrencies that are like less than a dollar. Feel free to become a member or just support this news comments commentary stuff in the description. Watch more news related content that like heavily focuses on business and money related information. Check out fortyandbox dot com, whether it be the YouTube channel, podcast, or website, to master your money. There's personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. You could contact us with your personal finance question or story at fortyandbox.com. There's like literally a contact us option, right when you go to fortyandbox.com, right? Because I think is I think it would be important to eventually start sharing people's personal finance situations so that people can relate, right? Because everyone deals with personal finances in a little bit different way. But there are some people that could be kind of in a similar situation. For example, right? You could be someone who is living paycheck to paycheck, and then all of a sudden you lose your job, right? And you don't know what to do. By sharing someone's story that is in a similar situation as you, but they end up sharing how they were able to get out of it. That could help you, right? Because obviously it's a different situation. Because you know, obviously nothing's going to be like exactly matching to matching, but it's similar enough to where people can end up helping one another, right? Because like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should go try that, right? Like, oh, maybe I should go check out that job board, right? Or maybe I should just go, you know, pull up an ad in you know the, my local paper or something like that. Like, 
different ideas like that from like a community would be probably pretty helpful. Hey, guess what? Amazon gets into the Shopify drop dropshipping game, right? Which you know, for all those Shopify dropshippers, you might not be in a interesting situation. So Amazon has bought Sells, S E L Z, a company that makes tools to help businesses launch their own online stores, like Shopify. So Amazon quietly acquired the e-commerce platform on January 15th, but it didn't publicize the acquisition. Sales announced the deal in a company blog post. We have signed an agreement to be acquired by Amazon and are looking forward to working with them as we continue to build easy-to-use tools for entrepreneurs. Martin Rush, CEO and founder of Sales, said in the blog post, an Amazon spokeswoman confirmed the acquisition. The spokeswoman declined to disclose the terms of the deal, and representatives from Sales didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. So, in recent months, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos has zeroed in on Shopify, an e-commerce enabler that has seen its business skyrocket during the pandemic. As a competitor, as consumers have turned to online retailers for both essential and non-essential goods during the pandemic, so Amazon previously operated a service similar to Shopify called Amazon Web Store, that allowed small businesses to run online stores built on Amazon's technology. However, the company shut down Amazon Web Store in 2015. The sales acquisition comes as Amazon's third-party marketplace, made up of more than 2.5 million sellers. Continues to thrive. The segment now accounts for more than half of Amazon's e-commerce sales, and has helped Amazon bring in record revenue. Providing more tools for small and medium-sized businesses to quickly move their operations online could give Amazon a competitive edge against the likes of Shopify and e-commerce software company BigCommerce. Founded in 2013, Sales is based in Sydney, Australia, and provides small and medium-sized businesses with a platform to launch their own online stores and add online payment options to existing websites, among other tools. The company employs less than 50 people, according to LinkedIn. In the blog post, Rush said nothing is changing for Sales customers as a result of the Amazon acquisition. Check out. Or become a member, or support this commentary in the description of this episode. You can watch more news-related content. Feel free to give your thoughts as to this acquisition. Do you think this is going to be potentially risky for Shopify sellers? Because we all know those videos of like you know trying Shopify dropshipping in like 30 days, and they like make like five hundred thousand dollars or something stupid like that. Right, but feel free to give your thoughts about this. Feel free to give your thoughts about Shopify dropshipping, right? And just you know, give your opinions, right? You can also check out fortyandbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story because I think that'd be useful and helpful to other people. And yeah, see you in future. Bill Gates wants you to eat. Synthetic beef, or, aka, fake meat. So, billionaire Bill Gates is arguing that the world's wealthiest countries should ditch beef for plant-based alternatives to fight global climate change, 
in our recent interview with MIT Technology Review. Which, by the way, I find it interesting that a billionaire that flies on private jets, that buys a whole bunch of real estate in basically waterfront property, you know, basically is involved in a lot of things that technically harms the climate, right? According to them, right? And you know, it's like seems a little bit hypocritical, you know, right? You know. While he explained the 80 poorest countries still must rely on real meat consumption, the Microsoft co-founder says the future should be plant-based for developed countries. I do think all rich countries should move to a 100% synthetic beef. You can get used to the taste difference, and the claim is they're going to make it taste even better over time. Eventually, that green premium is modest enough that you can sort of change the behavior of people, or you use regulation to totally shift the demand. The Microsoft co-founder told the MIT Tech Review, "The way I see this is: Would you rather eat fake booty or real booty?" All right. So Gates addresses agriculture in his new book, "How to Avoid a Climate Disaster." And details the measures needed to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions, which, you know, I hope his book is purely digital because you know, obviously, if you end up printing a whole bunch of books, a lot of trees are going to die, which are going to affect, you know, the climate. So the billionaire software developer and philanthropist discusses policy changes and tech innovations needed to help curb industries with the largest carbon footprints, like steel, cement, and agriculture, where a third of all greenhouse gas emissions, which trap heat and warm the climate, come from livestock production. Gates noted it would be almost impossible to eliminate emissions from burping cows, or. Farting cows, and fertilize to reduce methane emissions, saying that plant-based beef options are the only viable option. But he's also not really considering the climate change effect of massive grow crops, right? Like basically monocrop agriculture, right? Like the amount of machinery that's going to cause the emissions, right? It's like that's probably going to cause more emissions than livestock would. Now there are all things where they feed from feed them different food. Like there's this one compound that gives you a 20% reduction in methane emissions, but sadly those bacteria in their digestive system that produce methane are a necessary part of breaking down the grass. And so I don't know if there would be some natural approach there. I'm afraid the synthetic protein alternatives, like plant-based burgers, will be required for at least the beef thing. Gage shared his doubts that meats made at the cellular level, from the likes of Memphis Meats, may never be economical, but praised companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat as having a quality roadmap and a cost roadmap that makes them totally competitive. Just because it makes them competitive, because honestly, if you were to see the price of them, they're kinda reasonable for meat. But if you were kind of like going to buy meat, you could get like cheap beef for like three bucks a pound, right? But you know, sometimes beyond meat, you could end up having to pay like seven bucks a pound. But 
You could also get like a steak for that, right? Like a cheap steak, but steak, right? So I guess it really depends on, you know, people's perspectives on the thing. But the thing is, just because the price is competitive doesn't mean it's necessarily better for you, right? Which he's not really, you know, including to this thing because impossible foods and the Beyond Meat thing, right? They're not healthy for you, right? If you actually look at the ingredients and what they're actually doing with it, they're not healthy. So it's actually going to be healthier for individuals to eat meat than these fake meat products. So Impossible Foods, the maker of plant-based burgers and other meat alternative products, said in early February that it would be cutting prices by 20% for grocery stores throughout the U.S. The U.S. The company listed a suggested retail price of $5.49 for Impossible Burger patties and $6.99 for a 12-ounce package. Its major competitor, publicly traded Beyond Meat, has also grown its retail presence, expanding a partnership with Walmart to sell its products in more than 2,400 of its stores. Feel free to become a member or support this news commentary in the description of this episode. And also, we will upload basically weekend rough summaries, news summaries, right? And just, you know, like more exclusive content on there later on. Check out more news commentary down below as well. And uh, check out 40 to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story. Kit Kat is now vegan. I never thought I would ever, ever say that. So a vegan version of Nesso's Kit Kat is coming soon for sweet lovers looking for a dairy alternative. The company announced on its web- website Tuesday. The alternative chocolate is slated to hit shelves in the UK this year. The new vegan Kit Kat called Kit Kat V is certified vegan and made from 100% sustainable cocoa. However, the brand didn't reveal exactly what it was subbing in for the non-fat milk used in its traditional milk chocolate bars. The company has used rice, oat, soy, coconut, pea, and almonds for its other plant-based offerings. Bloomberg is reporting that this particular Kit Kat will use a rice-based milk substitute. Kit Kat V was created in the UK, where Nestle's confectionery researchers aim to make a vegan version of its iconic sweet that would live up to the high expectations of Kit Kat lovers everywhere. This isn't the company's first foray into the plant-based market either. Nestle has non-dairy ice cream, coffee creamers, rice and oat-based drinks, and non-dairy cheese across its food portfolio, in addition to its plant-based burgers. But here's the thing, right? When has anyone ever, like, grabbed a Kit Kat, ate it, and was like, you know, I really wish this was vegan, I don't think anyone's really ever thought that. I mean, there could be, but, like, when people grab chocolate, they, like, immediately eat it. Like, people who eat chocolate immediately eat chocolate. Like, a lot of them don't have self-control. A lot of them just eat chocolate to eat chocolate. Well, the new Kit Kat V-Bars will be rolled out in Britain to start. Kit Kat, meanwhile, is produced under the license of Hershey in the United States, and not Nestle, so it's still uncertain when or if the U.S. will get a taste anytime soon. 
Feel free to become a member or support this news commentary in the, in the description. You can watch more news-related content that is focused more so on business and finance-related topics. Check out 40unbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story. And feel free to give your thoughts like, would you eat a vegan Kit Kat? Because I personally would not go out of my way to go get a vegan Kit Kat. Because, well, one, that type of chocolate, regardless, isn't really that healthy for you. Two, it's just a Kit Kat. Andre Jick is a millionaire. As of the recording of this episode. And I hope he becomes, like, I hope he gets to the point where he ends up getting an eight-figure net worth. Like, I really hope that because I got to say, I love his content. I love how much work he actually puts into it. Like, you have to respect it. Whether you like him or not, you have to respect the amount of work that he actually puts in. So this is actually a screenshot of his Instagram story where he actually shows that within two years of YouTube, he has broke the $1 million revenue threshold, right? Like, and let me just say the like specific number two. He made $1,002,568.23. Now, funny enough, the very first episode or, you know, video that I have ever seen from his channel the very first one, because I remember it, right, was basically the video of him talking about how he saved, I think, about 200 and something thousand dollars in the stock market, basically, right? And it's basically dealing with, you know, dividend stocks and all that stuff. He goes into it. But basically, it was very interesting because that was the video that put me onto his channel, right? And that video alone based off the amount of effort that he put in, got me to stay with this channel for a very long time, right? Because obviously, you know, if you've ever watched his videos, he has personality, right? He just has personality. Like, you you know that. He has the cool magic tricks that he does, right? Because it's pretty cool. The sleight of hand stuff is pretty awesome. But also... The amount of editing, the amount of just like, like you could tell within like, there's like a five second clip sometimes in some of his videos that you know must have taken like 10 hours just to make, right? And it goes to show you because like, it reminded me of something that Mr. Beast said in one of his uh, podcast interviews where that basically viewers of an episode will actually see something that took a very long time to film and actually appreciate it. And for him, specifically, Andre Jick, for him, to him, you know, from my point of view, that's what captured me into his, like, audience, right? Now, he's obviously not the only, like, finance person that, you know, I'm aware of, obviously, but he's the only one that I've seen put in the amount of effort in the content creation aspect. And it's pretty amazing. Like, I love that he's been able to break this, 
right? Because I remember watching videos of his where he was hoping that he could make like a good living from YouTube, right? And also like there was another video which you know I wanted to mention too because it kind of goes to show you the type of person that he is. He paid off, I believe, his parents' house, right? Which like to do that, not only just to do that, but to do that from your earnings, I think of his very first year of YouTube, he used that earnings to actually pay off his like his parents' house, right? Like not many people would be willing to do that. Not many people have the heart to do that even for their family. But he was able to do that, which is pretty amazing. Because it was basically, I think, every cent that he made, obviously after taxes and all that kind of stuff, right? From his like first year of YouTube, basically went to pay off his uh, parents' house. Which is crazy when you really think about it. So, let's get more into it. So, Bitcoin investor Andre Jake has officially made $1 million from YouTube ad revenue. And only two years of uploading content onto YouTube. Now, funny enough, he actually had a video go viral a very long time ago. But it was more of like a magic trickery thing, right? For obviously the... I forget the name of the movie. But like I think it's Now You See Me, right? But it's pretty amazing, right? That he made like such a little amount of money from like a, like I think four or five million viewed video compared to all of his financial content. So Andre Jick bio. Andre Jick was born on 4th January 1989, and he's about 31 years old. He is a YouTuber who mainly creates videos on personal finance, stock market, investing, money making, and he also shared his portfolio of stocks on his YouTube channel. He started to post videos on YouTube from January 2019 and gained more than 540,000 subscribers on his self-titled YouTube channel within one year. Now he has crossed the $1 million YouTube ad revenue milestone. So before getting on YouTube, he was a card magician. Thus, he advertised the channel as Magic of Finance. He created a spreadsheet document to track his dividend income and also made a video on practically showing the use of the spreadsheet. And pretty much he's always been an advocate of dividend stocks and he's always been an advocate of Bitcoin. Right, He has been a very long time holder of Bitcoin. So Andre Jake is known for his work on the atomic brain. The Power of the Unconscious 2011 and Brain Games 2011 and Now You See Me 2, Bringing Magic to Life 2016. Now you can also become a member supporter in the description about news related content that focuses more on business and finance. And I wanted to share this one because I thought it was super cool and very inspirational for anyone, right? Because... It goes to show people that like, hey, if you're willing to do something that you like and stick with it for the long term, it could really pay off, right? Like keep doing something that you truly enjoy because obviously there's no way that he would have kept doing YouTube if he did not like doing YouTube, right? Because the amount of hours that he was spending probably per video is probably just like a disgusting amount, right? Like, like probably amount of time that you're basically like, wow, I could actually go to sleep <laughs> like for like a couple of days, right? 
the amount of effort that he actually ends up putting into it. So I really have a high amount of respect for his effort that he does for his content. And feel free to check out 40inbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons, personal finance courses. Contact us with your personal finance question or story because I feel like personal finance questions or even your personal story dealing with finance can really help other people, right? Because sometimes a story will help you relate, right? Because a lot of people see other people and they're like, oh, that person is driving a nice car. That person has a lot of money in the bank. That person is investing their money well. And they think that they can't do it. Because possibly they're in like a really bad situation right now, right? You might be listening to this and you might be in a very bad situation right now. But you got to understand other people have been in a similar situation or even a worse situation and were able to get out of it. So just keep that in mind. Do your best. There's always a way out, regardless of the situation. And you can always improve your financial situation because it is your personal finance situation, right? It's completely dependent on your actions. And you're the one that has the control to improve your personal finance. So keep that in mind. And I wish you the best. And good job to Andre Jick. Because I think it is super amazing and inspirational to be able to make a million dollars from YouTube ad revenue in literally two years. Like, that is crazy.